What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV, and I'm joined by the amazing Natalie Zamudio. Hello. Happy Wednesday, Gabriel, man. How you doing? I am good. It is hump day. It is the last day of July. Can you believe that we are just rolling along? We are like a month and a half away from fall. I, I can, I'm a little shocked. This summer went Dude, by actually, quick. Yeah, I did. I didn't even go to the beach or anything. What the hell? Well, excuse my language. What the heck? But, uh, yeah, that's No, nah, I think the first, the first reaction is warranted. I mean, we are in Southern <laughs> California. It's kind of like when you live close to Disneyland and you don't go. It's like people come from all over the world. Why can't I make the trip? <laughs> but um, Yeah, no, seriously. I, I get you, for sure. But, yeah, it's really just rolling along. I think that, um, what did they say? This is nine straight weeks of UFC cards, so I think that has a lot to do with it in terms of our job. But, um, no, it really has been something. And uh, we had quite the fight card to talk about. We have quite the matchup to talk about on uh, Saturday, so there's a lot to go over, so let's get it started. Um, Going into it, obviously we're coming off UFC 240 in lovely Edmonton, Canada. The main event, Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar. Natalie, quick version of this fight. Frankie looked amazing. Like I said, your favorite flavor ice cream, and he was all that in a bag of chips Saturday. At the end of the day, it was Max Holloway, and he did what Max does. He was able to get out of the way of the shots. He was able to find his spots. He was more accurate, and he kept up with the deep gas tank of Frankie Edgar for 25 minutes to get that very solid victory. What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I mean that that's a great summation. And uh it was a it was a fine fight. It wasn't as thrilling as uh you know, Holloway Poirier or Holloway Ortega because Frankie, you know, is just really good at moving and uh he has that great footwork, he's evasive. So it was a fine fight, but by the end of it I thought, well, you know, this wasn't uh this this wasn't the the, the back and forth I thought it would be. But Max, to me, clearly won, and um, he did actually. You know, I guess he does. He does tend to eat punches um, at 145, but he ate more than I thought he would. Uh, but overall, fine fight, and and you know, I feel for Frankie. He looked really dejected, and um, I've been hearing talks of you know he should move down to 135. I don't know about that, but uh, if he can make it easily, sure, I guess why not, right? have a run at three, three, three divisions in the UFC. I don't know who else has done, who's done. Well, I guess, yeah, I shouldn't say that. But he, he would be pretty successful at 135, I think. Um, but still, I feel for the guy. And that, that was my biggest takeaway for Frankie. On the Mac side, I thought, wow, he, uh, he just eats so many punches to the head, and I just still worry about him. But, but you know, it is what it is, as he would say. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, on the Frankie side, uh, I think the biggest thing you would, you know, to your point, he wouldn't be the first guy to try three-weight classes. He would easily be the most successful guy. I mean, talk about he was a champion at 155. He was right there for how many years now at 145? 
And if you talk about, you know, hypothetically, he were to be right there to challenge Henry Cejudo at 135, I mean, that, that's really a testament to just how good he is. I think at the end of the day, when you, he's a very lean guy. He doesn't carry much uh, body fat uh, at 145. That, um, you know, I hate to always say this because, you know, age is just a number depending on the person, but at 37, does he feel like really getting that squeeze out of his body to make Bantamweight? That's a very good question, and only he and his team could answer just how much of a challenge that would be. Um, I think that the height and everything, a lot of the advantages he gives up at 145 would not be a problem at Bantamweight. But once again, you know, this, you know, it gets harder to do as you age. Luke Rockhold and other guys have admitted it for several years now. So I think that that's a question he has to look inside of himself and talk about what does he want to do for this stage of his career because, um, you know, uh, it, like you said, it is what it is. I don't see, you know, I think, uh, look, once again, he didn't look slow. He didn't look bad. But I think you could argue, like, is he going to have another major contract? I'm not sure how many fights are left on his deal. I think he's just got a couple. But, you know, if this is the last major run, you know, does he feel like he'll perform better at 145? Or does he feel like, you know, he can make 135 easily. I think that that's the question he's got to look inside himself, and we're probably not going to get that for a while out of Frankie Edgar. So I think we just got to be patient with him. Uh, going to Max, uh, looks great. Did not take an obsessive amount of damage, if you ask me. He got tagged, but for the most part, he walks out of there pretty good. And the question now, he wants December and uh, Las Vegas. Everybody is in what do you think will happen? I mean, jeepers. The Volkanovski matchup is exciting, but let, looking at just Max's recent record, he fought in December, he fought in April, he just fought this month, July. It would be great. It would be a great feat for him to defend his title, his 145 title a third time in like eight or nine months. But it definitely makes me a little bit nervous. Um you know, December is, is gives him more time to recover, so I like that. But but a, a matchup against Volkanovski is pretty exciting. So, um, you know, Max is a smart man. He's not going to push himself into the danger zone if he thinks there's a risk to his health, you know, turning around in October. So if he feels healthy and able to make the cut to 145 again, I want to see the scrap. I want to see him fight Volkanovski, but... Wokanowski also just made that big cut. I mean, his might have been worse because it was on short notice and it was a, a higher number to cut down from because of the short notice. Um, so either option is good. The, the thing with October, obviously, is it's in Australia, and that would be great for Wokanowski. That would be great um, for the UFC. But in December, I mean, two months past October, that's not so far and it gives Max more time to recover. So I'm okay with either one so long as Max really feels like he's healthy enough for October, but December probably makes the most sense. We have to, you know, we can't just be fight hungry. We have to also think about these guys that we love to watch. And so in that respect, December makes the most sense for him. But either way, I'm down for that matchup for sure. Yeah, I think Volkanovski just makes a world of sense, and we'll be talking about a few guys in a minute at 145. Um, 
Yeah, he's the guy. I think that he's an exciting matchup for Max. I think that he provides a lot of different problems. He's well-rounded. He's a little bit stockier, a little bit more of a powerhouse than a Frankie Edgar. And um, I think he just has a lot of threats. So whenever the fight happens, I do expect it to be a fun challenge for Max. And I think it's another one that's going to push him. You know, I think would arguably push his limits a little more than Frankie Edgar did, if I'm being honest. Now, um, in terms of the timing, uh, you know, look, we, like you said, when we're going to tune in for these things, we want them to be stacked cards. We want big fight after big fight, and it culminates with a mega fight like Whitaker Adesanya. Um, for his own safety and well-being, I would prefer he waits till December. I think that it's just um, doing it right by his standards and everything else. Uh, if he feels good and healthy, honestly, and I mean honestly, I mean he's in Hawaii right now and says, I feel perfect, guys. Maybe. Then maybe we could talk about it. But if he's feeling any bumps, bruises, aches, pains, this is a guy who has injured his knee and has injured other stuff. Just wait. The fight will happen. And, you know, I know we won the big card in Oz, but you got to think about his safety. He has hasn't, you know, he's been arguably one of the most active guys in terms of champions. If he needs a few more minutes, I think that's fine. You know, we can let the Volkanovski and Oz fight go. Also, you know, he's been respectful, but maybe he doesn't like the idea that he's going to give a challenger the hometown fight before he gets his own fight in Hawaii. Plain and simple. So that is something to really uh, mention, but for my money, the fight happens in December over October um, at the end of the day. Moving on. So a lot of, you know, good little stuff. You know, they had the Jock Neal, Nico Price fight that was pretty good and all that jazz. So, you know, again, Canada, I think we all wanted the stacked card. Um, I think that it was just a very interesting one. But once again, the timing in terms of and all that. It was always very tough. And we have the one, the co-main event. This one, we've talked about it a lot to death, I feel like, so it feels weird to talk about it one more time. Chris Cyborg, Felicia Spencer. I want us to approach it from a different angle. Everyone talks about Joe Rogan's commentary making the fight sound closer than it was. In your opinion, how did the fight go? I actually thought it was a, a, a competitive fight. Um, I was nervous for Cyborg because I was actually impressed with Felicia's striking. I didn't expect her to come out swinging those flying, uh, those like Superman elbows. I mean, she cut her forehead pretty, pretty nastily. I was impressed with Felicia Spencer, but ultimately Cyborg still had enough, enough uh, juice in the tank, enough power, enough, you know, veteran chops to overcome that. But she wasn't hurting her. She hit her with some good shots. Felicia Spencer was not not uh, was not the, uh, stunned at all. She never stumbled. So for me, actually, my my first words after that fight were that was an excellent fight. I thought it was really good. And uh, I I don't know you know what Joe Rogan's getting really criticized for. Fine, whatever. That kind of stuff always happens. But I was surprised at how competitive it was on the feet. Really, really impressed with with, uh, Felicia Spencer. And it told me a little bit about Cyborg that, you know, not necessarily that she's on the way down, I wouldn't say that, but that um, 
it was probably a good test for her to fight somebody who just walked through her punches. When she hit Nunez, it did hurt her a little bit, and then she, you know, she ended up paying the price for it by staying in the pocket. But it didn't hurt Felicia Spencer for a second. She, you know, she's got a, a, a big, sturdy frame, and, uh, and I think it would probably open Cyborg's eyes that if she has to fight her again, it probably would be a way tougher matchup. If she moved to a different promotion with the younger, hungrier fighters, it would be a similar, similar challenge. Yeah, great point. Um, on the commentary side, uh, I, I'm listening to it, and I'm hearing uh, Joe Rogan talk about the gas tank, and I'm, I'll be honest, in my mind I'm thinking, Joe Rogan, you did call her fights when she fought 25 minutes to Holly Holm, man. I mean, you, you know it's possible. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, um, uh, it was just a little odd to me that it became a point because I did feel like Cyborg was throwing at a pretty good pace for 25, sorry, for 15 minutes. Um, in terms of the competitiveness, I think at the end of the day, Felicia, she took the shots, and the fact that she came back swinging, um, similar to when we talked about Henry Cejudo, Marlon Moraes in that second round after he took that beating, but, you know, he didn't look dejected yet. He looked still in the fight. That's what I saw out of Felicia Spencer. She looked like she was still a threat. She looked like she was still ready for that challenge, even though Cyborg caught her with some big bombs. We all know the, the power she brings. So I was impressed. I think at the end of the day, um, it was just the skill and the power of Chris Cyborg. She defended the takedowns well. She found her spots on the feet. She didn't avoid. She avoided taking serious damage. The cut happened, but for the most part, she really didn't get tagged with a big one that stopped her. And um, she had to pick her spots. She had to be more careful. But at the end of the day, she uh, executed the game plan that I thought she would. And uh, Felicia Spencer defended it better than I think a lot of people expected. And. You know, we talked about that last week. I think that she became a bit of a breakout star. She seems very charming, and I think that she grows from this fight. I think whatever happens next, people are more excited for Felicia Spencer. Now the elephant in the room, finally. One last time, because I, unless something happens, we will not talk about it one more week in a row. What is going to happen <laughs> with Chris Cyborg? I was like, it's been four weeks in a row that we do this segment. Um, and look, I get it. It's a big deal. We've had a lot of reason to. If you only watch one episode or listen to one episode, I get it. It's relevant. Is Chris Cyborg going to stay? Is Chris Cyborg going to leave? Now that we are on the other side of this, I'll be honest. I listened to her at the press conference. Her interview with Ariel Hawani was excellent. She outlined exactly what needs to happen. For my money, I told you last week, she made me feel it was more possible. Today, Wednesday morning, I am saying, no, it doesn't happen. I think that there's just been too much burning of the bridge there. I feel like the fact that it's about something like the, uh, she wants Dana and Joe Rogan to apologize for comments made in the past. I just feel like there's too much that's happened. I just think that she's not, uh, I think at the end of the day, She's cool letting the Nunes fight go for the, you know, builder reputation, fight Julia Budd, work with Scott Coker for a few years in a little contract, and that's it. I do think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, 
Sorry, what was yeah, that? It's... Go ahead. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I, I um, I've been happy to talk about it uh, because it's 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 um, she's like the only fighter that's really put it to Dana White, you know, for his um, for his remarks, for his attitude about his fighters. Other other male fighters might say a thing here or there, but I think it means more because it's cyborg um, and because she has such a big name. So definitely she's being more vocal now after the fight, asking for apology. She will never get that from Dana White, whether he feels sorry or not. I think Dana White is emboldened by, he's always been brash, abrasive, and blunt, but I think he's emboldened by the times we're in, right? Lying, speaking without filter, that's, that's the norm. That makes the news every night. So I think he's going to continue to dismiss her. She's one of the biggest brand fighters, that, you know, on the, on the roster. But I think he's, um, so long as it means he won't have to apologize, I think, you know, he'll do whatever it takes to avoid doing that. So he's happy to just keep saying she's scared, that she's a liar. He'll probably say something like, I heard him say this a lot after the Contender Series fight, you know, hey, listen, uh, they just fought on the biggest fight platform in the world. Somebody will sign this kid. This kid will be fine. And I think that's kind of what he's going to say about Cyborg, you know. He's just going to dismiss it. He never respected her, never respected her brand. I love that she's, yeah, that she's being so smart. You know, this is how all the, I wish all the fighters had the freedom to be and say, look, this is my brand. This is like, if you say I'm an independent contractor, then you're actually hurting my brand by talking crap about me, by lying, saying that I'm a liar, saying that I'm scared. Like, anyone who steps in there is not scared, period. Uh, I should say, even if they are scared, they use that to their advantage, right? So yeah. I personally still think she should move on. I'd like to see how she fights under a banner that respects her. And believe me, I think it will actually make a difference for, for someone like Cyborg to, to be respected, to be, to be raised on a, on a platform, to be promoted properly. I bet we'll see a better version of Cyborg if that happens. Yeah, I think that the most interesting caveat before we move on is the fact that uh, Cyborg, even when she was saying she'll resign, she kept saying, I'll do a one-fight deal. I'll fight a one-fight deal. I'll fight the Amanda Nunes rematch. I'll fight the Amanda Nunes rematch. She, even when she says she'll resign, she never said that I'm going to stay indefinitely. I think that at the end of the day, she's like, I beat Amanda. Let's say hypothetically. The best-case scenario is you have a trilogy if Cyborg beats Amanda. There's nobody left at 145. Um, Man, I am blanking on her name. I'm sorry, but they just picked up a girl to fight Megan Anderson in Australia later this year, and I'm like, besides Megan and this new girl and Felicia Spencer, Cyborg's already fought everybody. Um, I love Megan Anderson, but you also got to acknowledge she's coming off two losses right now. Uh, are you as pumped up to see Megan Anderson fight uh, Chris Cyborg or Amanda if she gets the win in October? That's another question. And in comparison, fighting in Bellator and having to run a Julia Budd, Arlene Blanco, Talita Noguera, uh, Olga Rubin, who we just saw, maybe that's more appealing for the competitor in Chris Cyborg than the current state of the UFC. And that's fine. That's a valid thing. But I think the thing that uh, stands out to me is that, aside from the personal stuff, which, you know, 
Uh, I get why she's saying all that. Competitively, the fact that there's still a lack of featherweight says to me that they are keeping this division loosely. At the end of the day, if Amanda Nunes decides she's going to fight Jermaine Durandamy and then wait for Kellen Vieira, that's completely fine. UFC can still make money off of that. They don't need to run the risk of 145. So I think that all of that makes this a very interesting uh, situation to watch. But um, I'm with you. At the end of the day, you just get the impression Cyborg will be happier somewhere else, plain and simple. Even though I, I'll respect this, she is saying she wants that win back and they, they'll give it to her. She wants to handle business with Amanda Nunes. That's a great thing for a competitor like Chris Cyborg. I do love that she's saying that. But yeah, um, once again, wait and see. I am sure we're all going to count down these three months and, you know, wonder what's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be interesting, for sure. I have a feeling we're going to talk about this again next week. I don't know, just saying. <laughs> don't do that to me. <laughs> but I realized that, like, I was writing an article, and I was like, man, I want to talk about something else now, dude. But um, I get it. It's a big deal, and we've had reason to every week. But still... Anyway, no, um, look, she's uh, also, um, final note, she did what she had to do. She beat Felicia Spencer. That was never a gimme, and I think that that's an important note. She does set herself up for a big deal, either UFC or in free agency, Bellator, PFL. The options are there. Moving on, we have something brand spanking new to talk about. The return of Yair Rodriguez taking on Jeremy Stevens. This September, UFC Mexico City on September 21st, Obviously, Yair is coming off that fight with the Korean Zombie. Jeremy Stevens is looking to stop a run against some tough featherweights in Aldo and Zabit. Um, Natalie, what are your thoughts on this fight? So I'm excited. I think Jeremy Stevens has a lot to prove. This is a good matchup for him. And, and despite Yair's spectacular knockout of, of Zombie, he was losing the fight. You know, I, I want to go back and rewatch it, but my memory is, he was going to lose that fight by decision before that insane elbow. But he's, he's a really dynamic striker, and I'm excited to see how he looks against, against Stevens, who throws bombs. Plus, we're going to be in Mexico, which would be great for Yair, but, also, but always, I should say, that conversation always gets steered towards the altitude. The altitude, how are they going to fare? So, you know, that's a factor as well. But in general, I think it's a really, really good matchup for both of these guys. Yeah, I think that um, in particular if you're Jeremy Stevens, we all know he likes to sit down on every punch and put you down because he has that kind of power. That being said, can you keep that up at altitude compared to, I can't remember if he's ever fought in Colorado and something like that and held up. That's a very key question. You're not wrong about that. Stylistically, I think the fight is fun. They're going to keep it standing. Um, I do think that Steven's power is a very big X factor. This is by no means a walk for Yair. I think that um, he's going to have to show the growth in his striking, his boxing in particular. I think that's the biggest thing is that, yes, he could throw anything off the cage like he's Anthony Pettis. It's when he's sitting, sitting there in boxing range, defending and setting it up against a, an opponent who knows how to move forward, cut him off, and take away the space. Um, the straight punches down the line are the way to get Yair Rodriguez in the past. So Jeremy Stevens will be looking for that. 
I think that uh, everything is set up for Yair to have a breakout um, in terms of injecting himself into the competition. So I think it'll be very interesting. Uh, once again, this is a close fight, and we'll be talking about it, um, you know, very soon. But uh, I think that a uh, fun fight on paper. It's not going to be a one-way fight, um, however way you see it, in my opinion. Um, interesting to note is that there was a lot of talk about finally making that Yair and Zabit fight. I said that that fight doesn't make sense anymore. I felt like very bluntly Yair had been out too long. Zabit had kind of just cruised right on past him in terms of the rankings and making sense. Off of that knockout last year, I would say that the fight made, you know, is a little more fun. But it looks like, you know, they wanted Yair in Mexico and they want Zabit in Russia. They don't want to try to double book these guys. I think they want to give each guy their proper showcase. So what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Should they have made the Zabit fight and Yair fight? Just pick the city for one of them? Or do you like the fact that they're splitting them up? Actually, I like that they're that they're not putting them together just yet um, because because it has been a while for Yair, and I think Stevens is the right opponent for him now. You don't need to throw him into the deep, deep fire just yet. Um, like I said, he was losing that fight to Zombie. It's hard to remember that because of the the the, um, the impact that that knockout met, made, and it's going to be one of those forever, you know, highlight reel knockouts. But he still has growing to do, and if Stevens catches you, it's night, it's night, night. So this is the proper matchup for him and for Stevens to get back on the on the upswing. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that um, uh, you know, talking about the featherweight division, I've heard rumors that they want to get Brian Ortega back. I will be honest; I find it a little interesting that we have not heard any activity from Brian Ortega at this stage. Um, he's a very popular guy, and they gave him the Modelo commercial and all that. So I do find that a little, um, little interesting. Uh, in terms of Yair and the B, I do feel like they are trying to, the UFC wants them to be those next guys at featherweight. I think right now the beat is more well-rounded and he's closer. I think that Yair, I'll be honest, I think I need to see Yair prove himself against some good grapplers before I say, yeah, he can do it all and he'll be able to take on uh, Max Holloway. I think that that's a big step for him. Then the beat, I think that they really just need to give him that big fight. If they're waiting for Brian Ortega in Russia, that would be that fight in my opinion. But I think that this is a this is a sign that they're trying to set up what's next for Max. And if I'm UFC, at least on the Zabit front, I am trying to give him that big fight in Russia so that he looks good. He looks ready for a title fight early 2020. So I think that that's going to be um, the real key to it is getting him the right matchup. I think that at the end of the day, Yair could still get the Zabit fight, but he's going to have to win a lot more. But it is not as a priority. I think that right now the UFC is looking to book Zabit for the big fight, and that's why Yair gets Jeremy Stevens, who not for nothing just lost to Zabit. So that's something to talk about, how the rankings and how these guys are climbing up the ladder right now. Yeah, Zabit Ortega would be great, for sure. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh yeah, and um, I, I heard rumors that they were talking about, you know, Ortega, Mexico City. The fact that that hasn't happened, I feel like, okay, they're going to make the beat in November. Send Ortega to Russia. See if they love his long hair and those static blue eyes over there. Um, interesting note. I've been to a lot of events where Ortega is there. I cannot tell you the number of girls that I see swoon over that guy. I swear, <laughs> that, dude, that dude has the magic. Like, I'm walking by, I see some um, officials. I'm not going to say what organization or what part of the production they are, but the girl has, you know, the sign credential, and I was like, oh, who signed it? And then they say with the googly eyes, like, Brian Ortega. So the popularity is real, man. Um, He's also, you a beautiful man. I've never you seen him in person. You don't realize how blue his eyes are until you interview him in person. I remember that, <laughs> and that shocked me. I'm looking at him, and I'm like, they really are that blue. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah. you know, him and Zabit, like, that's the exact guy to build up Zabit. Or if you want to build back Brian, that's the fight to make, if you ask me. Indeed. But, um, so, you know, a lot of little stuff, nothing major. Uh, new mom, Mackenzie Dern, is coming back in October. Macy Barber at Flyweight against Julian Robertson in October, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a little bit of movement. Some of our young upstarts in women's MMA are coming back, so that is good stuff. Uh, there's been a lot of little stuff. Brendan Lofton, the PFL. Uh, contender series rolls along. Um, so a lot of, you know, little things in the works in terms of just small bookings filling out these cards. But the real one is coming up on Saturday. You'll see Newark. They're back already again on ESPN, which I like. And it is the Colby Covington show against Robbie Lawler. So, Natalie, we haven't talked about this, but I avoid talking about Colby a lot on the show. I think that he crosses the line with a lot of comments, and I just don't believe in rewarding bad behavior. But when he is up to fight, okay, it is your turn now, Colby. Um, we've talked about this a little bit. Nothing he says is going to be more exciting than Jorge Masvidal's knockout. However, he is up against an absolute beast in Robbie Lawler. How do you see this fight going down? What I'm expecting from this fight with Lawler is a lot of action. You know, Colby puts on a relentless pace. He comes forward the entire time. He does become a bit predictable in that way, though, because it's like punch, punch, kick, kick, punch, lunge, and then he pushes against the cage. So what, I, what I'm thinking is that if Lawler, who definitely has the knockout power, I mean, and, and then some, if he can time Colby, catch him coming in. I can see him really hurting Covington, which would be great <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the persona. Uh, I'm sure he's a nice guy, on the, you know, at home, but I just, uh, yeah, the, I'm with you on that. The persona rose me the wrong way. It irks me. Uh, I, I'm not entertained by it, but, hey, well, you know, <laughs> it is what it is at these times. But anyway, so for me, it comes down to Lawler catching Colby at just the right moment and then going like full animal on his head, right? That's, that's the beauty of Robbie Lawler is that he really is, to me, a wild animal trapped in like a human shell. So Colby's a great, talented, amazing pressure fighter, but he's, to me, he's not a killer. 
volume and pressure fighter, right? His last four wins came by decision. Lawler's a straight hunter. That's the big difference. And so that's why I'm excited about this, uh, about this matchup. Also, it's like really early in the morning here on Pacific, uh, Pacific time. It's like 10 a.m. or something ridiculous, which I don't know why, since they're just in New Jersey. Maybe you have some insight. I don't know. You know, yeah, they will be fighting a little earlier, if I'm not mistaken, for the time difference on the West Coast. So that is a great point to make. Um, which is a weird thing because ESPN, you know, respectfully, like, I don't think we know as fans and media how to react for the fact that they are moving these cards. They're, being, they're coming out quick. Those days of six-hour Fox Sports 1 cards are in the past. I think we don't know how to deal with such good things. So, um, yeah. no, great point. Um, uh, in terms of the breakdown, I can't say anything you didn't. Uh, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I agree with everything. Um, firepower on Robbie Lawler. Kobe has fought some tough guys. He's fought some good guys. Well-rounded. He has not fought a guy who can do the kind of damage when he touches you like a Robbie Lawler. I think that's the big key. When he comes down the middle, it's going to hurt a lot more than when Dos Anjos or Damian Maya hits you. That's for sure. And I do believe that's going to be the difference. Um, can he... Rise to the occasion, I'm going to give him that credit. I think that people are forgetting that he has put that win streak together for a reason. However, I do think at the end of the day, it's just not going to be enough against a guy as prepared as Robbie Lawler. We don't talk about it much, but I do because he doesn't say a lot, but I think that Robbie is hands down excited to re-inject himself, and he realizes that he can take – Colby's spot in line in the welterweight division with the victory. I think that's a big deal, and I think that that's a pretty good sign if you're a fan of the welterweight division that is so stacked right now. So I am here for it, but I am predicting a Robbie Lawler. I'm predicting a first round. I'm predicting a first round KO. I wow! Think he's gonna right. hit that uppercut, or he's going to hit the knee as Colby's trying to close the distance, change levels, and bam, that's a wrap. Dude, I hope that happens. That would be a beautiful way for that fight to go down. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Like I wasn't thinking first round, but I, I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for your uh, for your prediction. Um, I still think it's going to be Robbie Lawler with the uh, with the fifth to end it, but I think maybe second or third. Um, but yeah, let's go round one. That would be amazing. Does Donald Trump sit in the attendance? No. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, hey, look at that, hey, real quick, wouldn't that be something? I mean, I, I don't like the way this whole thing's played out, but I might just tip the hat like, man, he got it done. I always thought he was just kind of, you know, put on the show, but I, I'll be like, you know what, okay. I mean, he got to the White House. It's like if he could get the second one, I'd be like, man, he really did it. That would be something. But um, nah, I don't, I don't, uh, think I don't that, see that happening. Yeah, I think that was just an excuse to share that photo again and show that the reach Covington has had. Um, Final note on the fight, Dana White last week says that um, he addresses the Masvidal, Colby, Robbie triangle for a title shot. He says Colby wins, it gets him a title shot because he didn't lose his spot in line. He essentially stepped up the headline against Lawler to help the division. What are your thoughts on that? If Colby pulls off the victory, that he jumps ahead of Masvidal in the five-second knockout. 
Yeah, I don't believe it. We just can't believe anything that that um, the UFC. I won't call out Dana specifically, but like that the UFC says regarding who's going to get the next title shot. Like we've been around too long to know that doesn't really mean anything, and for various reasons, maybe because they're straight up lying, or maybe because things change. Someone gets. I mean, there's always a reason why. So I won't believe it till I see it. And I don't mean the fight poster. I don't mean the way into the stare downs. I mean until they're in the cage, ready to go. That it's going to be Colby for the next shot. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Monsvidal. I just read a great interview that he did of, uh, where he talked about uh, Conor McGregor and how he's like, you know, very respectfully saying, "I respect him so much. I just want to scrap. But if he's not down, if he's not getting the money he deserves, I don't blame him. I'm not going to call him any names." So Osvidal has, uh, you know, plan B, plan C. Uh, I would like to see him get the title shot over Covington, frankly, just because I like his style of fight promotion versus Colby's. I like his fighting style better than Colby's. But uh, circling back to the original point, I don't think he's going to – I don't believe he'll get the title shot again until they're in the cage. Uh, you know what? Is it going to be like Alexander Volkanovsky? He's sitting in the audience, and they ask him, what are you drinking? And then he's like, water. You never know until they actually start fighting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. It's, let's say that Kobe, you know, withstands the attack and the physicality of Robbie. I don't see it being an exciting fight that he would win. I feel like it would be a smothering, slow, neutralizing kind of fight if he does. And, you know, we talk about promo, we talk about XYZ, right? Marketability. That might make it more difficult. So I'm with you. There could be a lot of uh, backtracking. But um, I'll, I'll also respect this. Dana got Colby into the White House to meet Donald Trump. That says a little bit about, you know, I don't know if I'd use the phrase employee of the month, but I think that says a lot about his acknowledgement of Colby's ability to galvanize the fan base. So I will admit that, that, you know, that that's saying something, plain and simple. And um, yeah. once again, this is why they fight the fights. This is why they put on the show, right? Also on ESPN, remember that exposure is huge. Uh, moving on, it, we're going to have a lot of action. Natalie, I can't imagine how stressed you are. In the next two weeks, both of your sisters are going to be fighting. Antonina in Newark. And, of course, next week, Valentina Shevchenko and Liz Carmouche. What are your thoughts as we head into the next week? I'm so tired from sparring with them every day that <laughs> I have no words. Um, I think I've trained them to the best of my abilities. No, but, um, yeah, man, I'm excited for this card because, because of my deep love for Valentina Shevchenko. Okay, we don't need to go on about that. But also there's two, uh, two other Peruvian fighters that I like a lot that have uh, had some exciting fights in the UFC, some losses too. But Umberto Bandanai and Enrique Barzola are also fighting on that card. So, in general, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled and... Um, Let's see. Oh, it's going to be not so early. Usually, I guess because it's South America, it's going to be at 5 p.m. Eastern, so or Pacific, I should say. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be a tough challenge um, for Shevchenko because Karmush is so strong and so buff, really, and she's a veteran. 
and she's not going to get caught with a head kick like Jessica I did. But uh, Shevchenko, to me, is still the superior fighter in that division, not just because she's a champion. You know, even if she didn't have the belt, I would say that. But I still see it going Shevchenko's way, but I'm actually excited because it's going to be probably her best competition at 125. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, I know from uh, experience talking with people who train with uh, Liz Carmouche, when she is on top of you, it is a different kind of animal, even for women's MMA standards. So uh, she's tough. If she gets the fight on the ground, I can see her neutralizing her. I think that she's been well-prepared for the attack on the feet. Not saying she's about to win a kickboxing battle for 25 minutes, but you're not going to see her making the same kind of mistakes that maybe have gotten other people. So I think that she's tough. Physicality, I think that she's one of the few women who strength-wise can handle the power and the athleticism of Shevchenko. Valentina isn't a home run hitter, but... um, very conditioned and has some decent pops, so I think that Carmouche is one of the few girls. So, like you said, this is a close fight. This is a fun fight, and, um, you know, very tough challenge. And we'll go in-depth on X's and O's, how they get it done later, but I'm excited, and we talked about it. Oh, you know, now that we're here, now that it's booked, I kind of like that we're going to get Valentina for the price of only ESPN+. Plus. I think that that's a too. good way to get her exposure. Yeah, I agree. And it's a great market. And, um, yeah, totally makes sense. I'm glad that, you know, that they're thinking outside of their own box because this is something we haven't seen in a while, a a belt on a non-pay-per-view card. And then we got Andrade coming up at some point later, I think. Yeah, and the Marvel. Yeah, so uh, very, very nice that they're doing that. I am just thinking out loud, and we'll, as you said, we'll dig into it more next time, but wouldn't it be something, as much as I love Bullet, wouldn't it be something for Carmouche to to come out with that win, you know? The first Ooh. female UFC fight against Rousey, uh, just that, that whole story, I think it would be something something cool for her. You know, she seems like a nice lady, so I have nothing against her. Uh, it just would be a good story. I'm not rooting for her, but uh, that would be cool. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I know you've been putting in those hours training at the UFC gym. Uh, it's not too late for you to do your bottle cap challenge and tag them. See if they could get you adopted into the family, Natalie. I yeah, think that this could I know. work for you. <laughs> no, but look. Not um, after I said that, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and just stretch well before you do it and just let it rip. Just remember the hip before the extension. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> fun stuff, good stuff. We'll obviously talk about UFC Uruguay, all that going on. We'll recap Newark, Covington, Lawler, and, of course, talk about what's going on, whether it's Chris Cyborg or not. So good stuff there. Natalie, where can fans find you on social media? Uh, hit me up on Twitter, around the 5 and uh, thestraightpunch.com is the website. Awesome. Guys, remember you can catch me anytime at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. We'll be back next week. <laughs>